Hello and welcome to our midweek podcast for Mavilla Presbyterian Church. I trust that you're all keeping safe and well and thank you uh, for taking the time to listen uh, to our podcast. In our midweek podcasts, we look back uh, to our services at the weekend uh, and to uh, see of uh, the opportunities we have to open God's word and to hear from him. Uh, in this podcast, in this episode, our assistant Wallace uh, looks back in the passage of Isaiah chapter 5 uh, that we looked at on Sunday evening. As we come to worship God, let me read these words from Psalm 66. Shout for joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds, so great is your power, that your enemies cringe before you. All the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing the praises of your name. We come uh, to worship God. Let us come now in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather in your name to know afresh of your promises and goodness to us and the taste of your power as we open your word. Lord, we recognise again and again in our lives of situations, Lord, where we feel a, a sense of hopelessness and despair, a sense of unworthiness and a sense, Lord, of everything, uh, Lord, that is temporary. But with you, we experience so much more. With you, Lord, we may know that eternal life, something that uh, will never be taken away from us and something that we can depend on through all that life will bring. And so, Lord, we come before you this time. We seek your power and your glory. We long for that in our lives, to know, Lord, of what it means to seek and to follow you in all that we may do. Lord, we ask these things now in Jesus' loving name. Amen. Before we come to hear God's word to us, we're going to listen to our first item of praise, Creation Sings the Father's Song.
Jesus walk in time's embrace, unveil the Father's plan of reconciling God and man. A second Adam walked the earth, whose blameless life would break the curse, whose death would set us free. scripture reading this evening and say we're continuing in our series in Isaiah. So if you have your Bibles, if you turn to Isaiah chapter 5, and just a short one tonight, Isaiah 5 verses 1 to 7. This is a song of, of the vineyard that, that Isaiah sang. So, so if you read this, it's a love song, okay, and we're going to be looking at, at this love song later on. So Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 to 7. Let's hear God's word. I will sing for the, for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My beloved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a winepress as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard that I have done for it? When I looked for grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it will be destroyed. I will break down its walls, and it will be trampled. I will make a wasteland neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. 
the vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are the garden of his delight. And he looked for justice, but he saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. Here ends the reading of God's word. So we're going to look at that uh, passage in Isaiah chapter 5, the first seven verses, Isaiah chapter 5. So again, if you have your Bibles, turn to them as we look at that. As we do that, let's come before God in prayer. We pray, Holy Spirit, that the Word of Christ dwell within us and that you teach us with all your wisdom. May you make your Word alive in our hearts, Lord. And build us up in our faith, equipping us for every circumstance that we face uh, within the world. Lord, use this time. May it be beneficial to us as you speak through your words. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we talked about love songs earlier. Down through the years, there have been countless love, love songs and ballads that have been written, and they've all made it as hits. Many of these songs usually are all about broken relationships, where there's been love that's been rejected, or love that's just all one-sided and not returned back. Here's a few that you might know. Don't go breaking my heart. <laughs> Elton John and Kiki Day. No More I Love Yous by Annie Lennox. Ain't No Sunshine When It's Gone. I don't know if you know who sings that, Bill Withers. Or Crying by Roy Orbison. See, I'm trying to get everybody, all your age groups. And if you're in really up to date in your music, Adele, her album 30 is a whole album about her divorce and about her broken relationship. So there you are. I think, I'm sure you can think of other broken or love songs about that. But the one we've read tonight from Isaiah is number one hit the original, and you could probably call it, title it here, You Were a Bunch of Sour Grapes in My Vineyard of Love. Such a catchy title, isn't it? <laughs> Isaiah Love Song asks a question. Is there any more that could, I could have done? He asks that question in the middle of it. For all the work and grace that has been done and given and expended, has resulted just in sour grapes or bad fruit. And that's a question that can be applied to us too. What more could the Lord have done for us? And what have we done with it? Has it just produced wild, sour, and inedible grapes? And does it just deserve judgment and destruction? All signs doom, but and judgment though it does not come, first of all, without first inquiring into the facts and alerting those who deserve judgment of its cause. So we're going to look tonight at the lyrics of this great heartbreak song of Isaiah's. And the first wee bit is, I'm really on tears tonight, <laughs> love and care, love and care, verses one and two. He gets the song up with his, uh, with, uh, he sets the song up with an introduction of expectancy. Love and care is highlighted in verses one and two. He's singing for the one that he loves, 
his beloved, his friend. But this stage he gives no indication who that friend is, who that beloved is. But he loves this person passionately. And as we see as the song goes on, we can see why his grief of this whole situation that his friend is in, why Isaiah's grief is so severe as well. For it breaks his heart to see his friend's heart grieved, to see his friend's love being rejected. The song is a story, I suppose it's a parable about his beloved friend's vineyard. Now you might not know this, but often lovers and brides, once true love, would metaphorically be referred to as a vineyard. So the listeners to this song were drawn in with the expectation that who's he talking about? And who was this person's lover? The end of the song, verse 7, of course, reveals to us who both these people are. The beloved friend is the Lord, and Israel is the Lord's vineyard, the Lord's true love. But look at the love that this friend has for their bride, for their lover. Look at the extents at which they go to to demonstrate that love, to care for them. They do everything to ensure that they prosper and produce good fruit. And the whole song's poetic uh, way expresses the care put into the vineyard. Something that takes time and patience, but something that he works at, giving it full attention and giving it the best care possible. So what do we see? It's planted on a fertile hillside where it's going to get the best of the sunlight. He spent time preparing the ground, digging it up, carefully removing all the stones and then planting it with the best variety of vines. And he had great expectations from this vineyard. He goes and he builds a watchtower. It's not just a, a wee, like in uh, chapter 1, verse 8, we see he builds a hut. But here it's a watchtower, which is a permanent fixture. Because he wants to make sure it's well overseen and it's looked after. He even goes to the bother of cutting a wine press from stone for the grapes to be pressed and for all this fine juice to come out and be stored. There's nothing spared, nothing held back by the friend in this creation, in this preparation and care for the vineyard. And this, of course, has reflections of Genesis chapter 1 and 2 of the creation, where God made and prepared everything, and it was good, and it was a blessing to his people. And then we also have reminders of how God made every provision for his people Israel, so as they would bear good fruit and be a blessing to the world. Genesis chapter 12 and 1 and 3, we see that God gave them a holy law on, on Mount Sinai. Then God gave them a land flowing with milk and honey. They were given every opportunity to be a fruitful nation and to be a blessing to all. Every opportunity to fulfill the purpose of, what, uh, of being God's people. So it's all going well. This love song is all very positive right at the very start. But then sour grapes, verses 2 to 4. 
But we see here he waits. And he looks for a crop of good grapes. He looks for a response and a return to all his loving care and attention. But as I say, what does he get? Bad fruit. And that's translated literally as stinking or sour grapes. We see that at the end of verse 2. He gave his true love everything that they that should fulfill them and satisfy them. But as, as if he had given them nothing. His efforts are wasted, for his lover rejects him. And we see in the song that Isaiah then speaks in the first person. He speaks as if this troublesome vineyard was his own. And he asks the question of the audience, what'll I do? What would you do if you were in my situation? And he asks them to judge and to be jury, to be judge and jury of the matter. Now the audience were the dwell, were dwellers of Jerusalem and men of Judah. These were probably people who had their own vineyards. But as we have already seen, these are the very people that the song was about. These are the very people who had rejected the loving attention of their Lord. In fact, Isaiah was maneuvering them towards self-condemnation. But they have no idea yet that it's about them. Isaiah asked them two questions in verse 4. What more could I have done? And why did it yield only bad fruit? The obvious answers can only be, well, nothing. Nothing more could have been done. And there's no good reason why the grapes are sour. Now, I'm no grape expert, but I found out that apparently the only difference between a wild and domestic vine, the only difference is in the care that it gets. So when, a vine, uh, so when the vine has had the utmost of care lavished upon it, and it still produces wild fruit, it seems as if there's been no care, but, and nothing else can be done. But it's not the vine keeper's fault. It's the vine itself. It's the one that carries the blame. We've reached the midpoint, climax of the song, the pinnacle of the song. And it poses a very sobering question to the listeners. And I suppose to you it's a very sobering question to us. For if divine power and wisdom and obligation have been exhausted then what hope remains there's clearly willful rebellion the blame lies in the loved one not in the in the giver of the love and this has not only broken the lord's heart but as i say it's broken isaiah's heart for if we love the lord and know and experience his love then it should also break our hearts when we see it being rejected by others. When we see that, do we passionately care when we see other people turn away from the love and care that God has given and all the opportunities that God has given to people to respond to him? Isaiah's heart was broke because he knew the Lord's heart was grieving. As we look at our world and the willful sinfulness of individuals, it should cause us to grieve like Isaiah. 
And what shall he be? What's the judgment? That has to be the next step. That's the breaking up part of this song. Verses 5 and 6. The owner of the vineyard declares his intention, his proposal in those two verses. He's not going to sit around and drown his sorrows. He is going to take action. He is going to punish. And what do we see? The external protection shall be removed. In fact, there's a double layer of protection. There's a hedge that will be destroyed and a wall that will be broken down. Animals will be able to come into the vineyard and trample and devour it. Isaiah is speaking here about external foes invading Israel and trampling over it and destroying it. And of course, if we know our history and know our biblical history, we'll know that later on Israel's walls were broken down. We know that the Syrian army invaded. And after that, the Babylonians came and invaded and trampled over the people and took them into exile. But secondly, what else do we see? The owner of the vineyard says he will make it a wasteland. He will no longer prune nor cultivate it. He'll allow thorns and briars to grow up in it. Again, if we look right back to Genesis, Genesis 3 and 18, when Adam and Eve rejected God's care and love, when they rebelled against him, God's wrath was manifest in the ground. It produced thorns and thistles. And then finally, giving the strongest indication so far that the owner of the vineyard is God. We see in verse 6, he will command the clouds not to rain on it. It's truly divine judgment and retribution. For rain is what maintains the life of the Lord's people. And only the Lord can give that life or withhold it. So two things go hand in hand, fruitfulness and security. And life, fruitfulness and security and life belong together. You know, if the vineyard had been true to its intended purposes for the beloved, then no harm would have come to it. It would have been fully protected. Nothing would have got through that hedge or that wall. But feeling fruitfulness brings judgment. Judgment is real. Judgment can, and it can seem harsh. And many will often cause and blame God of harshness and question his justice and his mercy. But at the end of the day, that's what's deserved. And that's what the conclusion of this song in verse 7 helps us to understand why God's response is like that. For firstly, he's now able to make clear who the song, Isaiah is now able to make clear who the song is about. And the listeners realize that the Lord Almighty, who is called Yahweh, is the owner and the covenant people is the vineyard of Israel. You know, Yahweh is a name most used for God that expresses a special relationship he has with his people. And we see here even that he is described, as his people are described as the garden of his delight. You know, like God took delight in Adam and Eve, in Adam and Eve, God takes delight in his people. He takes delight in his vineyard. And that's why his grief is so severe when what he delights in only violates his intention to be fruitful. 
that actually goes into his heart, breaks his heart. That's that last bit, the broken heart, verse 7. We see it again emphasized in some things. We see in the Lord looked for, for he waited for the fruit of justice and righteousness. These are things of his own heart and nature, justice and righteousness. He wanted to see that in his people, but instead of justice, he found bloodshed. Instead of the, the righting of wrongs, his loved ones were actually inflicting wrongs. Instead of the righteousness, he heard cries of distress. Instead of right living and right relationships, he hears cries indicating wrong relationships and anguish of the oppressed. Now, in the Hebrew, those words for justice and bloodshed, they sound very familiar. And so too are the words for righteousness and cries of distress. They sound very, very similar in the original Hebrew. But what Isaiah is trying to do here is showing that there's a, a, a facade going on. There's a front that looks like it is good, but it produces bad fruit. There's people who looks like they want to say one thing, but they're doing something different. They are violating the very norms of God in both their practice and their principle. And God is grieved not just because his people don't return their love to him, but is grieved because those he believed to be good, he's now discovered they're actually wicked and cruel. Not to him, but to the weak and the needy. You know, we've seen here the justice and the judgment. How awful injustice and wickedness is. But when it's committed by those who have received God's love and whom he has chosen to model justice and righteousness, it's a little bit more horrible. And that's the application for us who are God's people. That's an application for us in his church. For we have an, an obligation to be fruitful and not to be rebellious. We have an obligation to be just in our actions and our attitudes, to demonstrate love to the needy, to give protection to the weak. And that's not just the financially weak or the vulnerable person, but to all. We have an obligation to stand up for what is right and to protect those who cannot protect themselves. And not to be the one who actually facilitates and encourages injustice or just ignores it. As Christians, we're called to be a blessing to, to the nations. And the disappointment for the owner of the vineyard was not just about fruitfulness or fruitlessness, but the disappointment was that it's bad fruit and sour fruit, fruit that produces sin things that are completely opposite from God's nature and what he produces, love and care. The rest of chapter, of chapter 5 delves into all this bad fruit. And we see even more into that about why there is judgment. But still in that, God is still in control. Because the final bit is there's a weight 
in that song. You might not have picked up on it, but there's a weight. Verses 2 and 4 and 7. And then in story in Luke 12. In Luke 12, Jesus would have had this story of Isaiah in his mind when he spoke of several parables of vineyards and fruitlessness. Ones that need, and ones need to either repent or perish. Luke chapter 13, I think I might have the wrong verse or chapter there. Luke 13, 6, 9, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Jesus was warning the people of judgment if they do not repent of their sin. He doesn't say, well, okay, you're doing your best. What else can you expect? Just keep trying to be good. Jesus wants the people to make them think and consider of their own state of condemnation, of their own fruitlessness, and then to repent while you can. You see, God did not send the Son into the world, condemn the world. He sent them into the world to save the world through him. For whoever believes in him, well, whoever believes in him will be saved, but whoever does not believe in him stands condemned already. You know, Jesus demonstrated the love of God for us, not by telling them that God will ignore or overlook your sin. He demonstrated his love by saying, I will save you from your sin. I will save you from this judgment that will come. And he'd done this by calling them to repentance and putting their faith in him. Isaiah's song that we read may be full of hopelessness and grief, but there's a similar hope within it. The same hope that we've seen in Jesus' parable of the fig tree. For he came and he looked for fruit. He waited for fruit. The fig tree owner waited three years for fruit. In fact, even another year. And the Lord in Isaiah's story in verse 2, he looked for a crop. In verse 4, when I looked for grapes. In verse 7, and he looked for justice and righteousness. Now Isaiah, like Jesus, wants his listeners to understand their sin, to understand their fruitlessness, God comes, he looks, he checks the facts of our true status. Isaiah wants us to understand that judgment would come, but we have time to repent. He will wait for us to respond, for he has already done the work. He's already given us the hope of salvation. He has already done all that we need to bear good fruit. There's another parable in the New Testament of Jesus in Mark 12. When the son came to collect the fruit from the harvest, he was rejected and killed. 
Do not be like those fine workers, those who rejected him and killed him. Repent, believe, now when there is time. I want to finish just up with some words from, my, or from Psalm 80. Again, a whole image of this vineyard. Psalm 80, 16 to 19 says, Your vine is cut down, it is burned with fire. Let your rebuke your people perish. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man you have raised up for yourself. Then he will not turn away from you. Revive us and we will call your name. Restore us, O Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. Now we can talk comfort and joy knowing that God's judgment came. But where does judgment come? It rested, he rests his hand of judgment on the man on his right hand, on Jesus, the one he appointed as our saviour. And why? So that we can call on the name of the Lord. For in Christ we're saved. He is our beloved. Let's not reject him, but rejoice in our fellowship with him. Now is the time to repent. Believe in him. Let's come to him in prayer. Lord God, as we just think of these words tonight, we do realize the harshness of judgment. Yet, Lord, as we realize that, we realize how much deserved it is. For how, Lord, we reject your love of how we reject so often, Lord, the blessings that you give to us. And Lord, how at times we treat others the way that we shouldn't. Yet Lord, in all that, your love is steadfast. You have given us everything. You've prepared everything for us. You prepared your son who came and died on the cross. So Lord, that we do not need to take that judgment. And we thank and praise you for that. Lord, help us to be fruitful. Help us not to be those that produce sour and bad fruit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Prepare our lives, prepare our hearts that we may be fruitful for you. May you be our beloved as we know that you love us so dearly and so deeply. And Lord, we bring all our prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh
that last item of praise that we listened to, the power of the cross. And thank you, Wallace, for bringing God's word to us uh, in this time. We come uh, to uh, at the end of our podcast, as we always do, to come uh, to bring the needs of others before God in prayer. And as we do that, let us read uh, some more words from Psalm 66, taken from verse 16. Come and hear, all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he has done for me. I cried out to him with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. And if I cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and has heard my prayer. Praise be to God, who has not rejected my prayer, or withheld his love from me. We come before God in this time, in Jesus' name, knowing a forgiveness for sin, knowing a power that he gives us in the name of Jesus. Let us come now, in Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, we long to lift up before you the needs of our lives, the needs of others, the needs of this world. For Lord, we recognise again and again the sorrow uh, that we see in this world, the pain and heartache that is all around. Lord, we acknowledge again and again the confusion and chaos in this world. And you promise so much more. And so, Lord, in the name of Jesus, we come before you this day. Lord, lifting up before you those who feel anxious about the future. Those who are fearful of what way to turn. Lord, those who do not know, uh, Lord, what it means to trust in you. We pray, Lord, that they may have that awareness of your power and glory working in their lives. That they may know the truth of your gospel message that is for them. And Lord, that they may know of the peace that you long to bring into their lives. Lord, we lived in days that are changing constantly. We live in days, Lord, where leadership comes and goes. But with you, we recognise a God who will never fall away. One who we can depend on through all that life may bring. And so we pray for that awareness of looking to trust in you. To see your power each day. To have that working in our lives and all that we may do. Lord, we pray this for ourselves, but we also pray this for our world at this time. Lord, that things may turn towards you. That we may see that awareness of the outpouring of your spirit and power in all that happens throughout our world. That we may see what it means uh, to seek your power through all that we may do. For Lord, we long for that coming of your Son. We long uh, for that knowledge uh, of the Lord Jesus reigning on high. 
through all that we may face in life. Lord, be with all those who are dealing with difficulties through these days. Be with all those who are anxious for the future. And we pray for that awareness of the outpouring of your Spirit into their lives in all that they may do. We ask these things now in the gracious and loving name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you all for listening. May you know God's blessing to you. And we close with the words of benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen.